Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Frank McCourt goes Charlie Sheen and the Fiesta Bowl trying to retain its BCS status. We'll give you more information in our next segment. Then we're going to be joined by Jason Cole. He's Yahoo Sports' NFL reporter. I'll tell you what, it is the Wild West in the NFL right now. We will try and make sense of it after Judge Nelson's ruling this week. Still a lot of litigation to come. The draft this week, but... uh, just a lot of weird stuff. I don't think the NFL's ever been in a situation like this. We will try and sort it out for you. That's coming up in segments three and four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at SB Radio. You can find everything you need about us at sportsbusinessradio.com. Griggs. Some interesting NBA playoffs. I think the matchup everyone wanted to see is going to materialize. Boston and Miami, two of the marquee teams in the league meeting in the semifinals. That should be a TV ratings bonanza. Yeah, definitely good for ratings, and uh, I think Rondo's going to have a heyday in that series. I do, too. And Boston knows who they like to go to at the end of a game. They're an experienced team. I just don't think Miami has enough to beat Boston. And how about Kevin Durant? He went into beast mode this week and put that team on his shoulders, and uh, he's going to be fun to watch in the next round as well. All right, Sports Business Radio headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Headline number one, Major League Baseball appoints former Texas Rangers president Tom Schieffer to run the Los Angeles Dodgers. That happened this week, and uh, Schieffer's going to monitor the day-to-day business operations of the Dodgers. Now, Frank McCourt, not at all happy about this, Griggs, and he's kind of gone Charlie Sheen here. So he has a press conference. He's been doing a a little bit of a media tour, and he says things like, no one handed me the Dodgers, and no one is going to take them away from me. He also called Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig un-American. So, you know, just like Charlie Sheen fought the establishment, and the establishment was CBS for canceling his role in Two and a Half Men, well... Frank McCourt's kind of doing the same thing here with Bud Selig in Major League Baseball. Look, Frank McCourt has run this franchise into the ground. And, you know, I don't often side with Bud Selig. As a matter of fact, this may be the first time I've ever sided with Bud Selig. But I side with him here. You had to take away the keys to the car because the guy was running your franchise to the edge of the cliff. And before he drives it over the cliff... You take the keys and you put someone who's responsible in charge. But obviously, Frank McCord, this was the first time we heard from him this week, and he's not happy about it, and it looks like he's going to continue to fight this. He also says that you know he had a deal with Fox and that that money would have taken care of all of his financial woes and, and things like that. I think this is more than just about his financial woes. I think it's about how he's run the team. Uh, the tenor of the fans, the uh, embarrassing situations that the Dodgers have found themselves in. And uh, I agree that someone should have been put in charge of the team. And from all accounts, Tom Schieffer, who ran the Rangers from 1991 to 1999, is a good guy. The guy served in the military. Um, You know, he said this week, and I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, uh, battling the North Koreans was much more difficult than the task that I'm facing going ahead. So he has a good perspective. I think he'll come in and he'll take inventory and he'll figure out how to right the ship. The question remains, what happens with Frank McCourt for the long term? Because a year from now, two years from now, I just have a hard time seeing Frank McCourt sitting in the owner's box at Dodger Stadium after all of this mess where somehow someone else comes in, cleans it up, straightens it out, and then they say, okay, Frank McCourt, here's your team back. Yeah, and Selig did the right thing. I mean, he had to do something because this this team and this franchise is just going down the, the toilet bowl. It just keeps whirling, swirling around. It just doesn't look good. He had to do the thing that, that he did. And look at the, the presser from McCourt was great, too. Like you said, it's like a, a movie script, you know, <laughs> out of some movie. And it fits perfect. It's L.A. I mean, it's it's like, of course it's L.A. And then McCord has said, as far as the monitor is concerned, I welcome anyone from Major League Baseball coming into our operation if they're coming to observe. So he wants people to come observe. He just doesn't want anyone in his kitchen cooking dinner. And that's what's going to happen. And, you know, we'll see how this turns out. But an embarrassing situation for the McCords. And again, I don't know if I would uh, use the publicity strategies that he's used in having a press conference to 
criticize Major League Baseball and Bud Selig and then doing a tour of media interviews and continuing to do the same thing. It just reminds me of, of Charlie Sheen, and we've seen how that strategy worked out. All right, our next headline, Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson, local business leaders, and Kings fans have done all they can the last few months to prevent the team from relocating to Anaheim. And perhaps the most critical step came this past Tuesday when the corporate community handed NBA representatives deposits on more than $10 million in sponsorship pledges for the Kings to stay for at least another year. This is according to the Associated Press. Johnson has met with 30 business leaders from the Sacramento area. And Griggs, it seems to be a, a stay of execution for Sacramento for now. But as we've said all along, unless you find an arena solution that is sustainable over the long term, you can have all the deposits you want without suites and with the second oldest arena in the NBA. Power Balance Arena is not going to work for the Kings for the long term. So this is a nice gesture. Frankly, $10 million in today's world is not that much money. Um, I don't know if that's going to get the Maloof's attention. The Maloof's have until May 2nd really to decide, are we going to go to Anaheim or are we going to stay in Sacramento for at least another year? If they stay another year, then they can at least buy themselves more time to either figure out, can we find an arena solution for the long term in Sacramento? Or if we can't, can we negotiate a better deal either in Anaheim or some other city? It's one of those things to me feels like you know it's going to happen, the move's going to happen, so why keep it around for another year? I mean, it's just like a teaser, I think, for the fans, for the team, for everybody down there that's working in the, uh, the organization. It just feels like it's going to move. Get it over with now, in my opinion. Well, like we just said, the primary reason the Maloofs have explored relocation is because they need a new arena. And they haven't been able to get that done in Sacramento. So you can raise $10 million for tickets, for sponsorships, and things like that. But you're putting a Band-Aid on the problem. You're not solving the problem. And so far, I have not heard anyone talk about a solution for an arena. Now, there could be other people that step in and own the team. There have been several billionaires, and their names have been floated. But, okay, even if they buy the team, unless they're going to personally finance a new arena— how do you get an arena built? Where do you build it? And how do you fund it? Those remain to be the biggest questions for uh, Sacramento if they want to keep the Kings. You have to give Mayor Kevin Johnson, former NBA player, credit, though, for what seemingly looks like the Kings are going to stick around for at least another year. So he's bought them a little bit more time. Our next headline, we all remember uh, a few weeks ago, the Fiesta Bowl fired its longtime CEO, John Junker, in the wake of scandal that uncovered misappropriation of funds, including illegal reimbursement of political contributions. You also remember that they were doing things like uh, doing security checks, Griggs, at strip clubs and charging that to the Fiesta Bowl. They were paying for administrative assistance weddings and, and things like that. Well, after that, the BCS said, you know, Fiesta Bowl, we're not sure if you're going to remain as a, a BCS game. This is disappointing. So what happened this week is Tostitas Fiesta Bowl representatives met with the BCS, Bill Hancock, and with other athletic directors, and they're trying to state their case for remaining a BCS game. They're talking about how they will be cleaner and, and better going forward. This will be an interesting thing. Do they stay in Arizona? 
There have been rumors they may go to Dallas and play in Cowboy Stadium. Or maybe the Fiesta Bowl doesn't isn't a BCS game anymore, and it's just a regular bowl game, which would cost a bowl. And the Phoenix area, if it leaves Phoenix, millions and millions of dollars. Personally, I, I kind of enjoyed the uh, the excuses the Fiesta Bowl committee came up with, because those were pretty funny. So I wouldn't mind hearing a couple more of those if they continued on as the, uh, as the head of the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I think they've run out of excuses. <laughs> Just like uh, Jim Tressel has run out of excuses, and he seems to be in hot water. And if I were a betting man, I will be surprised if Jim Tressel coaches another game at Ohio State. That's just me. Wow. But I think Jim Tressel has coached his last game at Ohio State. The John Junker and the Fiesta Bowl, obviously, he's gone, and we'll see if the Fiesta Bowl maintains their BCS status. That will be determined soon. Our final headline of the week, Griggs, this was surprising to me. So EA Sports, every year, they pick one NFL player to be on the cover. And we've heard about the EA Sports cover jinx. You know, whoever's on the cover gets hurt that year, and it's a bad thing. But it's great exposure for the athlete. Well, ESPN.com put it to a vote. And there were 13 million fans that logged on during the five-week campaign and voted in matchup of brackets. And at the end of the day, this week, Cleveland Browns running back Peyton Hillis, who? Cleveland Browns running back Peyton Hillis was the winner. And in the finals, he beat uh, Michael Vick of the Eagles soundly. He had 66% of the vote against Michael Vick. Now, along the way, Hillis upset higher seeds. He beat Baltimore Ravens running back Ray Rice. He beat Atlanta Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan. He beat Kansas City Chiefs running back Jamal Charles. And he beat number one overall seed Green Bay Packers quarterback and Super Bowl MVP Aaron Rodgers. Griggs, I think the vote was rigged. How in the world does Peyton Hillis beat that list of players and then Michael Vick in the finals? Now, Vick I can kind of see because I can still see there are people out there that go, you know what, I don't like Michael Vick because of his past. I'm not going to vote for him. And I get that. But beating Matt Ryan and then beating Aaron Rodgers? Peyton Hillis? I mean, either everyone in Cleveland voted, and I mean everyone, or something was rigged with this on ESPN.com and and the online voting. I just don't get it. I mean, he was a nice running back. He rushed for over 1,000 yards, but he plays in Cleveland. He's not marketed by the NFL or by the Browns. How in the world did Peyton Hillis become the cover athlete for EA Sports. I think he must have recruited his mom or grandma, and she just sat there for like a week voting. It's something like that. It's got to be something. I'd love to talk to him and ask him, how did this happen? See if he has any insight on that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, unless, you know, maybe he got uh, the Chinese voters involved because we know how they've gotten Yao Ming into all-star games. But Seriously, I don't know. I really don't know. And I think it's not a great thing for EA Sports. I think EA Sports sells a lot more games with Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, or Michael Vick on the cover than they do with Peyton Hillis. All right. Coming up next, it is the Wild West in the NFL right now. No rules, regulations. Everything's in court. It is a mess. We're going to talk about the Wild West of the NFL with Yahoo Sports NFL reporter Jason Cole. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SB Radio.
Has your big toe ever had a gout flare? If you've experienced intense pain, tenderness, and swelling in the joints of your big toe, you might be suffering from gout a medical condition related to arthritis. If you have gout, there are various research studies going on right now that may need your help. One of the studies needs men and women at least 50 years old who have a history of chronic gout, suffer from cardiovascular disease such as a heart attack, chest pain, unstable angina, or complications due to diabetes. Another needs people who have suffered from chronic gout and have been told by a healthcare provider that they have decreased kidney function. Yet another needs men and women at least 18 years of age who have suffered no more than two gout flares in their lifetime and have never taken medication for gout. If you suffer from gout, call 877-859-7560 or log on to goutstudynow.com forward slash SBR to see if you may qualify for one of these studies. That's 877-859-7560. That's it's 877-859-7560. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Jason Cole. He's the NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. You can also find him online at yahoosports.com. Jason, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm terrific, and uh, it's good to be here. So it is really the Wild West in the NFL right now. Just in the last few weeks, we've seen the NFL really take it on the chin in litigation. We talked last time you joined us about Judge Doty and the TV money with the lockout. And then this week, they lost the injunction case on the lockout, and then they lost the appeal. Now they're on their way to the Eighth Circuit Court. So obviously, they're trying to get this through litigation, but... What happens if they go to the Eighth Circuit Court and they get shut down there, too? Well, just be careful. They didn't lose an appeal. They asked um, for they asked for a stay, which is basically a timeout uh, on the injunction uh, with, with, with Judge Nelson, and that wasn't granted. Now, what may happen or what will happen is they will ask for a stay from the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that decision could come down very soon. Uh, and if they get that stay, then they're back to lockout mode, and we're back into then we get into the appeals process, and that's where they talk to you know they they bring their case to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is one step short of the Supreme Court, and the it's going to be a three judge panel that listens to the case and decides whether Judge Nelson's uh, judgment at the uh, Minnesota District Court. Um, should be upheld or whether it should be reversed and, and changed. And that process will take probably somewhere between four and six weeks would be my uh, guess. If they don't get a stay, however, from the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, then it really becomes wild and the negotiations will become fast and furious between the players and the owners. Now, the last time the league went to the Eighth Circuit Court, you noted this in your column this week, was in 2009 to appeal federal judge David Doty's decision allowing Michael Vick to keep approximately $20 million in bonus money that was paid to him by the Atlanta Falcons. The point is is that the league has not had great success in any of these courtrooms. And, you know, I think most fans are, are sitting around going, okay, I don't want to hear about all the rhetoric and I don't want to follow the litigation. Just tell me. When is there going to be NFL football? When can we see trades? When can we see free agent signings? And do you have any insight into when that might happen? Well, at current rate, I think that we're talking about mid to late June is when business will reopen, uh, especially uh, if the Eighth Circuit Court 
upholds um, Judge Nelson's decision and says that the lockout cannot continue, that uh, they have to go back to doing business. Once that happens, the pressure is on the owners to get a structure in place that does not put them at risk of antitrust violations. So basically they got to go and either create a system that has no rules um, or very few, uh, or they just have to sit down and negotiate and come to an agreement with the players on what they actually you know, can do. That's, that's been the biggest problem in this whole thing, is that the owners have wanted to delay and de- delay and delay um, getting to this point. Now the court is sort of pushing them to get there faster, which gives the leverage to the players uh, and, forces, and forces some action. So I would anticipate that we're looking at really at June, especially if we get a stay from the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeal. There have been some that said, you know, maybe the rules go back to the 2010 rules where there was an uncapped season. Do you think they'll come up with new rules or do you think they'll just revert back to the 2010 rules? I think, look, the rules are not the problem. Right? It's not, the players are not sitting here saying we didn't like the rules that were in place before. Right. Okay. They don't have a problem with that. They have to attack those rules because those rules come from antitrust exemptions. The draft does not exist except for the fact that there's an antitrust exemption and an agreement with the players that the NFL teams can draft. Free agency in its form exists only because the players are willing to agree to rules that allow players, allow teams to keep players for a certain amount of time. The franchise tag only comes from a um, antitrust exemption that that then leads to an agreement between the players and the owners that allows that to exist. Okay, so all of those things, those rules are fine by the players, except that when you are now attacking, you know, how much money they get in negotiation, which is what the owners are trying to do. The players then have to come back and say, well, we're going to attack everything because, uh, because you're forcing us into this kind of a negotiation. But ultimately, the players are willing to agree to those rules. They don't have a big problem with those rules as long as the percentage of the money that they get is in line with what they were getting before. That is, is what the fight has always been about. We're joined by Jason Cole. He's the NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. Jason, let's talk about Commissioner Goodell and the owners. They've strategized and planned for this for several years now, and it's not going according to plan. What is this doing to Commissioner Goodell's legacy? I mean, this is his first showdown at the OK Corral, so to speak, along with Demora Smith, and it seems like he's getting his hat handed to him so far. Well, one of the problems uh, from what my sources have told me all along is that actually Goodell is not really running this negotiation and never has. Um, the owners have run this negotiation, and the angry owners, guys like Jerry Richardson and Jerry Jones and even Bob Kraft, who sort of switched a little bit here and become a little bit uh, more of a pacifist uh, as this thing has gone along, really wanted to take a you know chunk out of uh, the players' hide because they felt like they had you know been taken for you know a ride in the previous negotiation back in 2006. That negotiation was run by Paul Tagliabue, who then, you know, retired, and you know Roger Goodell took over for him. This is Roger Goodell's first chance. The owners want a bunch of money back. They're not necessarily trusting him 
uh, and, and giving him uh, the power to get our deal done sufficiently uh, and, you know, really have sort of cluttered and made a mess of the whole negotiation process. And, yeah, you're right, this is hurting Goodell's legacy and it's hurting the perception of how powerful he really is uh, in the public. And I think that's, that's caused this thing to misfire so badly uh, and really... Somewhere along the line, the owners need to look at Goodell and say, okay, you need to run this. And Goodell always wanted to get a deal done uh, and would have gotten a deal done much faster if he had been allowed to really run this show right from the beginning. Uh, That has not happened. So does Commissioner Goodell have enough respect from the owners that if he goes to them and says, okay, we need to make a deal, are they going to listen to him? I think that at this point, I think they are starting to realize – that you know, Goodell was right all along. That and and they'll never admit this privately, and Goodell will never admit this privately. But you know, they knew that you know he knew that this was a bad path. He did not want them to opt out of the agreement back in 2008. He told them that this was bad strategy. Let's wait. Let's hold this off. And I think what's happened in court has only proved. Uh, that he was right all along, and they need to trust him. Uh, the problem is that you know you've got a bunch of owners who, again, wanted their pound of flesh, and a bunch of owners who have never been through the fight. Remember that that you know back in 1993, it, more than half the owners um, have changed. You know, more than half the teams, I should say, have changed owners since the Reggie White case was resolved back in 1993. So you know, half of these owners who own teams right now, have never been through this fight. So a lot of them want to fight this battle. On the other side of the fence, you've got Demora Smith. And, you know, one of the reasons he was hired is people thought he was kind of an outside-the-box thinker. Mm-hmm. And he goes to decertification, which was, in many people's opinion, the nuclear option. Will he really decertify the union? It's turned out so far to be the proper tactic. It's really given players leverage that they wouldn't have had otherwise to the point where, you know, I'm reading this week, the NBA players are looking at, hey, what would it look like if we decertified? I mean, the NBA is really watching this case very closely. What is this doing to DeMora Smith's legacy? Because I would imagine that the players have more faith in him by the day. I would say that that's correct. I think that, the look, he's following a strategy that was laid out 20 years ago. And for about a year, his first year on the job, he wasn't sure he wanted to go this path. But give DeMore Smith a lot of credit that he, you know, understood the arguments, he understood how this was going to work, and eventually came to the conclusion that what was done 20 years ago was the right strategy. More important than that is that he has spent his two years on the job informing players and making them understand how this is going to work and that they need to be patient, and telling them that what was going to go on. And he has been a much better communicator than Gene Upshaw ever was. And Gene Upshaw, and as much as he was criticized, was a brilliant negotiator and brought the, the NFL Players Association you know, up to speed after it had been you know, basically run terribly uh, previous to his regime. He really brought them up to speed from a negotiation tactic standpoint, what he didn't do was communicate that vision very well with the, the rank and file. DeMora Smith has explained it to the rank and file to the point where what you don't see in this negotiation is you're not seeing a lot of players 
jumping off the bandwagon, okay, when things get a little bit tough. Yeah, there was a story out there that 70 players were looking for a seat at the table. It died pretty quickly. And I think that, you know, as long the players now understand better than they ever have before how this process is going to work and that it's going to take time and that they need to be patient and that if they're all of a sudden running out of money, they have only themselves to blame because they should have seen this coming. Back to my conversation with Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Back to my conversation with Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports. The other thing that's been really interesting in these negotiations or in these work stoppages, it seems like the public and the court of public opinion, people usually side with the owners and they look at the players as being greedy. But that hasn't been the case with this. And this week I thought it really took a turn in favor of the players. When you have players literally showing up at their training facility door, mm-hmm. I want to go to work, and I'm being turned away by my employer. I thought that was a visual that will stick with a lot of people and will get the court of public opinion really on the side of the players. I think it's going to be slow. I, I don't think that it's completely on the side of the players. I, I still think that most fans have an, an obvious jealousy of the players. And there's a reason why. is because they wish they were the players. They dream about uh, being players. They watch the game wishing they could do what the players do. And that's natural. That's, that, that's completely okay. And that's why people love the sport and they get so into it. And they look at players and they say, how could you possibly you know, not want to play this game when I would play you know, for free or for 10% of what you make or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever number they come up with in their head. So there's that natural jealousy. But yes, eventually people are looking at this saying, Hey, wait a second, they've you know, they they supposedly have this agreement. You know, they supposedly um should be able to go back to work. Why aren't they going back to work? And then they need to sort out the issues about why they're not getting to go back to work and that those issues eventually point to the fact that the owners don't want them to come to work because the owners want leverage over them and then all of a sudden it paints um 
paints the owners as being greedy and simply leverage-minded. We're joined by Jason Cole. He's the NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. You can find him online at yahoosports.com. Jason, let's go through some logistics of just how the league, which is the Wild West right now, is operating. So, you know, the draft was this past week. You can't make trades. You can't sign free agents. You have to organize your own workouts. What are what are the other rules of today's NFL as we speak? Well, it depends. <laughs> the rules under a lockout are that the players can't come in and can't and, and can't work and have to do all their workouts on their own. The players, the 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 rules under an injunction should be that they're open for business, um, but they are not. And what you as as you mentioned, you know, people are being turned away at the door, uh, and it's creating great confusion. Uh, as as the players wait for this to get sorted out, um, I think that it's put everything that the players are trying to accomplish on hold. I think that uh, you know any player is going to sit there and go, okay, why should I even be working out with you know my guys in town? Why should I be doing anything like this at all? Um, and and it's causing you know the whole thing to fall apart. I mean, I'm I'm hearing from team doctors all all the time that you know they're they're trying to keep a lot of the players on board with what treatments they should do, what they, you know, but there's a trust factor that is disintegrating because the players are looking at it and saying, you know, the owners don't seem to be terribly interested in my care because they're taking all these measures uh, that, you know, basically ignore my health. Uh, so I'm not trusting the doctors that I'm working with. I'm going to go, you know, do this on my own. Uh, I'm going to find some other kind of solution, and it's creating basically chaos, um, you know, within the ranks uh, of the NFL and how the players operate their jobs. And so, really, it is completely the Wild West—a no rule situation, not, nobody knowing exactly which way to go. Jason, what happens if players organize their own workouts and they get hurt during a workout? Uh, right now, uh, they would be, you know, not covered. Uh, they would not be covered by the league, and they would probably be subject to be cut um, because of a not what would be classified as a non-football injury, even if they're working out practicing for football because they're not at a team facility doing a team-monitored activity. That is the problem that players face when they work out on their own. That's why, I mean, if anybody's ever been in a town you know, where they happen to run into a professional football player working out at like a Bally's or a Gold's Gym, and that happens occasionally, I hear I hear from people because players do go out and you know want to do a little bit of work on their own. What you generally see is you know players don't work out that hard um, at your local gym. They just basically break a sweat and they try and you know get a, get a little light work in. And why is that? Because they don't want to take the risk that somehow they're going to get hurt at their local gym and not be covered by their insurance uh, under under the team and be subject to being cut because of a non-football injury. The other thing you pointed out this week in one of your columns, which I thought was a great point, is if you're a rookie and you were just drafted, you know, you can't report to your team, you can't sign a contract, and then you can't learn the playbook. So is your rookie season, if this thing goes on for a while, is it going to be lost because you literally show up and you're so far behind the curve when the season does in fact start, you're, you're too far behind to get caught up? This is going to be a really problematic year, and... For all the people who were excited by the draft um, this last weekend, uh, 
Uh, just understand that if they don't get this resolved very soon, everything that you saw at, at the draft was meaningless. Uh, because, again, those players are not going to be able to work with their teams. They're not going to be able to do any work. Uh, they're not going to be able to talk to their coaches for at least like a month and a half. And if that happens for a month and a half, um, all that time, you know, catching up you know, in the second half of June and part of July is really, really difficult, especially the quarterbacks. I mean, Cam Newton, uh, Blaine Gabbard, any of those other quarterbacks, they're just not going to be very effective because they're going to lose so much time this rookie year. You might as well not even play them. Last time we had you on, we talked about the sense of urgency. And, you know, a lot of people have said, well, there's really no sense of urgency until games are officially lost, until paychecks are officially missed. We haven't reached that point yet. Do you feel a a renewed sense of urgency in the last week? Or do you still feel like until we miss games and paychecks, things might not really get done? No, I think that the things are going to get done faster because I think that, you know, unless the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals completely reverses the decision by Judge Nelson, this is going to ultimately force the owners to have to come back and negotiate. This is a huge victory for people who like football. All right, the 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 decision by Judge Nelson was, you know, was, provided the players with great great leverage. If she had allowed the lockout to go on. Uh, and the players were the ones that were then going to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals to appeal for that ruling, it would have changed everything substantially. Again, if the Eighth Circuit Court changes this, reverses it, which I, I see as unlikely, but if they do somehow reverse this decision, uh, then we're back into a mode where the owners can simply wait it out, and that's their strategy, to wait it out until the players cave. Uh, and... Um, that is a bad, you know, that's a bad strategy if you want to have football sooner than later because the players are going to have to fight, and the only way that they can fight is to somehow, you know, hold out their services as much as they possibly can, or they're just going to have to cave in to whatever demands the owners get give them. Jason, I think a question a lot of people have is, okay, let's say that the Eighth Circuit Court upholds Judge Nelson's ruling and the owners and the players bargain again. Well, the players, isn't, it's not a union anymore. It's a trade association. Do they put Humpty Dumpty back together again and form a union? Are they just dealing with Demora Smith? How does that work? Well, here's how it works. You're negotiating with the class of players, the, the Brady class, you know, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Mike Vrabel, Ben Lieber, Von Miller, Vincent Jackson, all those guys. Um, and they represent the larger class of all football players. Okay, so you're negotiating with them over over what um, rules you have in place. The last time that they did this, again during the Reggie White case, when they finally came to a conclusion and a and a settlement, all right, what happened in that situation was the NFL asked, and I mean I should say, required of the players that they reconstitute as a union. And people don't understand this; they think that this is that the the decertification is a sham because they're just going to get back together. No, they get back together at the behest of the league because the league wants a union in place to protect them from antitrust lawsuits. All right? That's the important distinction here. So when you say are they going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, 
the league wants them to put Humpty Dumpty back together to, again, at least the last time we went through this. And they probably will again because they will not want to face a possible class action lawsuit from, that will attack, you know, attack the antitrust violations. I mean, it would be very easy for the draft to be attacked by college players if the NFL Players Association does not reconstitute as a union. People need to understand that. All of a sudden, you could get a group of five or six college you know, athletes who sit there and sue the NFL um, over the draft because it's a restriction of trade. It's a restraint of trade, and it's, allow- and it's allowed under an antitrust exemption. So, again, the league wants, the- wants to have a union that it bargains with. Okay, the unfortunate part is they want to also lock them out and play these games with the union that give them leverage over a, a union, and they don't want to bargain in good faith. Last question for you. Once at some point there is a new CBA in place, I would expect a flurry of activity like we've never seen before. Trades, free agent signings, business that couldn't be done during this Stoppage, lockout, whatever you want to call it. Would you agree with that assessment? Oh, I think that yeah, we'll be we'll be playing catch up pretty quick here uh, with people trying to get all the things done that they were hoping to accomplish over um, March and you know April. So that certainly could happen. Um, and look, Donovan McNabb, a bunch of other players sitting out there waiting to get traded or hoping to get traded, and those teams are hoping to trade them. So yeah, we'll have a flurry of activity. The later it goes the bigger the flurry is going to be. Because, I mean, if we don't get back to business uh, until late June, uh, then it's all going to have to happen really, really fast. Jason, I so much appreciate your time. Jason Cole, NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. You can read his work online at yahoosports.com. Jason, thanks again for making time. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, some of you out there say that we don't talk about the NHL enough, and you're probably right. But let me talk about them right now. I'll tell you what, this may be the best first round of NHL playoffs we've ever seen. Nine straight days of overtime between Tuesday, April 19th, and the last night of the first round, Wednesday, April 27th. We've seen several Game 7s. The Canucks held off the defending champion Blackhawks in a Game 7. Canucks were up 3-zip in that series. Blackhawks tie them up, force a Game 7. So, Griggs, some exciting hockey 
And this is great news for NBC and Versus, who just renewed with the NHL to the tune of, uh, what is it, $2 billion, $200 million a year. Really exciting first round of NHL playoff action, so it's been great. Yeah, it has been fun, and I love the hockey fan because they're so passionate, and those stadiums are just filled. They've got their towels going. They wear the same colors. They're pounding the glass. It's, a, it's an exciting sport to watch. The fans love it, and when the games go to Game 7, you got some great comebacks, some overtime games. It's great for sports. And it's so much better in high-definition television. It is a thing yes. of beauty to watch in HDTV, so a lot easier to follow the puck. All right, a lot of thank yous on the show this week. Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports. He's their NFL reporter. You can find him online at yahoosports.com. He does some great stuff. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Patrick O'Neill, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd really appreciate it if you're able to post a review of our podcast on iTunes. I'm on Twitter. I tweet prolifically. I am at SB Radio. And uh, we're on Facebook. If you want to become our Facebook friend, you can find that icon on the homepage of sportsbusinessradio.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Has your big toe ever had a gout flare? If you've experienced intense pain, tenderness, and swelling in the joints of your big toe, you might be suffering from gout, a medical condition related to arthritis. If you have gout, there are various research studies going on right now that may need your help. One of the studies needs men and women at least 50 years old who have a history of chronic gout, suffer from cardiovascular disease such as a heart attack, chest pain, unstable angina, or complications due to diabetes. Another needs people who have suffered from chronic gout and have been told by a healthcare provider that they have decreased kidney function. Yet another needs men and women at least 18 years of age who have suffered no more than two gout flares in their lifetime and have never taken medication for gout. If you suffer from gout, call 877-859-7560 or log on to goutstudynow.com forward slash SBR to see if you may qualify for one of these studies. That's 877-859-7560. That's 877-859-7560.